John chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 1 through 21. Follow along with me if you will, please. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have a life and have it abundantly. I and the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We thank you, Lord, for your word this morning and ask for its full effect in Jesus' name. It's kind of funny coming to chapter 10 of the Gospel of John and thinking about how John, the author, writes and communicates to us. In fact, if you were to take chapter 10 and throw it into one of the synoptic Gospels, it might actually feel like it perhaps fits with some of their writings, with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, with the teachings of Jesus that come by way of parable. Did you notice that as you heard from the Good Shepherd? You heard a description of Christ but you heard it through a parable form. A parable is just a mode of teaching that delivers a spiritual truth through everyday understanding. Now, there's really a very few of us who have an everyday experience with sheep in this room right now. But there are a few. Usually there's not really any. So when we look at this parable, we have a lot more untying to do than that original audience did, right? That original audience was one that could say, yeah, well, we've all got at least a couple sheep. 
we all take our sheep and we put it into the community pen and there's a gatekeeper that we hire and he takes care of them and we hire somebody out to be the shepherd who takes them out to pasture and they go in there and they call our sheep, you know, big ears, big nose, little, little toes, whatever their names are and brings them out and takes them out to pasture and brings them back in. This is all very known to the audience that Jesus is speaking to. But for us, it seems a little strange. And in fact, a lot of that historical context may even be lost on modern-day shepherds as well. Mostly because modern-day shepherds don't really call themselves shepherds, right? It's just a small portion of what they do. And a lot of times they have the land for the sheep to dwell in 100% of the time. But let's consider the outline of this passage before we move on too much. The next two weeks will be in John chapter 10. So this is really part one of finding sanctuary in the Good Shepherd. And this is one of those really, really cool moments where you realize why sanctuary is the theme for the year when you come to John chapter 10. Because what we have found and what we truly have in the Good Shepherd is a perfect, secure, and nourishing, full of loving kindness, sanctuary in God. But let's consider the outline of the passage. In the first six verses, we have this idea of the voice of the shepherd, okay? So in verses one through three, Jesus talks about a gatekeeper. Did you see that? To him, that is the good shepherd, the, the shepherd, not the robber or the thief, but to the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought all of his own out, he goes out before them. The sheep follow him. You see that there's a very clear and obvious relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And then there's this guy, the gatekeeper in the middle. So this would be the guy whose job it was to hang out in the village with all the sheep all penned up together so that when a robber or a thief would come in, the gatekeeper could say, hey, I'm not opening the gate to you. Hence, how do robbers and thieves get into the pen? Over the wall. They can't go through the gate. They don't have the authority. But when the shepherd appears, the gatekeeper opens. Because he knows who the shepherd is. And more importantly, the sheep know who their shepherd is as well. Now this pen would, of course, be containing the sheep of multiple different families. And their own sheep all mixed in together. Staying there overnight, the shepherd would bring them out to feed them. And he would have to call them all by name. And the sheep would have to recognize, oh, that's my shepherd, I'm going this way. Another sheep would say, oh, my shepherd's over here. And they would all know where to go. I think we know probably enough about sheep to know that they're not very smart. There's a very popular video that happened last year. Do you remember it? It was hilarious. You're going to look it up after. You might be looking it up in the sermon. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. But there was this sheep, and there was a, he was you know, walking around the pasture or whatever, and there was this big crack in the ground. And as it was prancing around, it fell in the crack, head first, feet sticking up in the air. And that's how the video starts. Oh, hilarious. Oh, that poor guy. You feel really bad for this sheep. He's stuck. He can't get out. He's face first looking into the ground. So the shepherd, for all intents and purposes, comes over, pulls the sheep out by the feet. The sheep is overjoyed, free at last from the clutches of the ground. Begins to skip away and falls in another part of the crack immediately. And the video ends. There's no redemption to it because we don't need it, right? The, the point of the video is very clear. Sheep are stupid. They, they can't lead themselves anywhere. They will only lead themselves into danger. 
They need a shepherd, and they need the shepherd to draw them out with the voice that they recognize, and they will follow that shepherd. They will find sanctuary in and with that shepherd because they know that following that guy, he's going to lead them to where they can eat and where they can drink and hopefully away from any holes in the ground. More importantly, wolves or thieves or robbers. Do you see the list in this of the enemies that are mentioned in here? There's a great deal of danger involved in the life of a sheep because the sheep cannot do anything for itself. Are you beginning to apply any of that spiritual metaphor to yourself or do I have to spell it out for you? Okay? Because, sorry, he calls us the sheep. Every person is in this parable some kind of sheep. One who is owned by one shepherd and one by another. One who recognizes the voice of their own shepherd but does not recognize the voice of any other. That would then, of course, lead to uh, some pretty traumatic experiences for the sheep in that a lot of these sheep might have been traded and sold to different families, different pens, wake up one day in one pen and wake up the next day in the other. And what do you do? Come on, Bluey, let's go. Come on, whatever. I can't name sheep. I'm sorry. Hopefully none of them are blue. But, you know, they're calling the sheep and the sheep, I don't know who you are. I, I can't trust you. I can't follow you. I don't know your voice. Even if that shepherd's intention is good, the sheep is unable to recognize the voice because it doesn't know it. It was very intentional when we prayed for the kids that we prayed, Lord, may the words of Christ sink down into their hearts so that when Christ calls them, they would say, I know who that is. That's my shepherd. And not face the trauma of not knowing which way to go. Where is truth? How do we find the way to nourishment and sanctuary in this world that is far more dangerous for us than it is for the sheep? At least in regards to the variations of danger that we face. But of course, the good shepherd and the voice of the one whom we ought to follow and find sanctuary calls us to salvation. Verse, verses 7 through 13, Jesus lays this out very clearly. You see, he contrasts the shepherd with the hireling. There's a shepherd who cares about the sheep, who lays down his life for the sheep even, which is rather extreme. We'll talk about that later. But then there's also a hireling who just says, hey, look, that's a wolf. I'm not taking on a wolf for anybody's sheep. See you later. I'm out of here. And, and that is the point where the true shepherd is distinguished, the one who truly cares for the sheep when danger is present. Because again, that hireling is not thinking, you know, I see that wolf, but this sheep, man, have you seen this sheep? It's pretty buff. I think you could take out that wolf. Let's see what happens. No, he knows. He's not putting his, he's not gambling that the, the sheep is going to win and he can just sit back and everything's going to be okay. He wants nothing to do with putting his life on the line. The difference between the hireling and the one who has a true investment in the sheep. Jesus talks about the door in the beginning of this passage, verses 7 through 13. That he is the one by whom anyone might or might not have access to his sheep. This has a great deal of weight when we consider the leadership of God's church. When you consider your pastors, your elders... And who you choose to say, okay, lead us. Because the idea is for elders, pastors, synonymous in this. If you don't know, the word pastor is really just the uh, Latin word for shepherd. The spiritual leader of the church, along with the elders, the same thing. And the great question is, is this elder, this pastor, this leader going to reflect the character of the good shepherd? Or is he more like a hireling? Simply here for his own good. 
the good shepherd laying down his life, the hireling fleeing for it. Lastly, in verses 14 through 18, we see that the good shepherd lays down his life in order to gather his full flock. That in the moment that this parable breaks, we see that, okay, if a shepherd is going to be successful, he can't die when he's out in the field. Otherwise, he's, unsuc otherwise he's unsuccessful, right? Because, yeah, it might have been a noble thing, but who's going to watch the sheep when the shepherd's gone? Jesus is better than any brand of shepherd that we might imagine in our own minds because he himself has conquered death and is able to both lay down his life and take it up again on his own authority, he adds very intentionally. This is, of course, a great gospel picture of what Jesus has come to do. But it has also got a great commission direction. There are other sheep in other pens. I must gather them as well. That is to say that the expansion of the gospel message to all you Gentiles, that we are a part of God's sheepfold, not because we were Jewish and a part of the original flock, but rather we've been added in. We are those to whom Jesus has come and spoken clearly and said, follow me, and we follow. Not because we've figured out that voice, but because he has revealed himself to us and made himself known so that our ears would hear and our hearts would obey. But then lastly, did you notice at the end, John is very particular in his writing to make sure that we know how people respond when Jesus teaches. And what is it that keeps on happening? There's obviously an objection by so many. We see that highlighted. But in some places like in this, we see not only objection, but division. We see the workings out of this truth of Christ as the good shepherd played out in verses 19 through 21. A division among the Jews because of these words. Some of them saying he's insane, he has a demon. Others saying, how can a person who has a demon heal the eyes of a blind man? He's not insane. There's division. And what is the dividing factor? It is the voice and the work of the shepherd. To his own sheep, he is the good shepherd. He is the one who opens the eyes of the blind, who heals and restores and nourishes and loves. But to those who are not his sheep, Jesus is just as good as somebody who is demon-possessed. You'll remember in the Synoptic Gospels and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have testimony of Jesus teaching on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is what is coming very dangerously close to that. Because the way we understand that, and you know, a lot of people call it the unforgivable sin, but we don't really know what it is. When Jesus teaches that blaspheming the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven, he's talking about a consistent refusal to accept that what Jesus is doing, he does by the Holy Spirit, and that instead of accepting that, they claim he's doing it by the power of the devil. To say the exact opposite of what Christ is doing. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is not to say that those who said that in this place are never to be forgiven, but rather that in their thought process, if they continue on this track of attributing Christ's work to the devil, there's no forgiveness for somebody who's that lost for somebody who so misunderstands the voice of the good shepherd. And, and the truth is, is that most people that you know that don't know Jesus are somewhere in the middle. They're not those who are flat out saying, you know, I just think Jesus was a demon-possessed crazy man. What you have is people who are in the middle in one sense in that they haven't 
followed him as the good shepherd, but they haven't necessarily gotten to such an extreme where they've hardened their hearts so aggressively that they can't potentially hear that voice. And the truth is, is that if you did know people who would harden their hearts so much that they would never hear and accept the voice of the good shepherd, if that were true, you don't know that about them. God does not reveal that to you as you share the gospel with these people. He doesn't put a golden halo over the ones that are elect and chosen and you need to evangelize to those. He says preach the gospel to every creature. So we need to be liberal with our gospel proclamation, calling people to sanctuary in the good shepherd. So if you don't see what the good shepherd is already, here's something. The good shepherd is the one who saves the sheep rather than sacrificing his sheep. He's the one who leads them to sanctuary not leading them to danger. The hirelings, the thieves, the robbers, these are all who in their self-absorption inevitably lead the sheep to destruction. Whether that is their stated and attempted goal or not. When a shepherd is self-absorbed, danger will inevitably come and the sheep will be the ones that are sacrificed, not the leader. So it puts quite a bit on our understanding of leading God's church, but it also ought to pour out into the lives of anyone else to whom we lead in whatever capacity. Are you the boss at work? Are you the boss at home? Do you go to the grocery store where people help you and you are and serve you? And, and in one sense, it's not necessarily leadership, but there is a deference there. I mean, this idea of the good shepherd should pour out into how you treat that kid in the drive-thru who's driving you crazy because he just doesn't care to be cordial or quick or anything else, right? And this shepherd, this good shepherd, is the one who leads his sheep to find pasture, to find what he calls abundant life. Though the thief in verse 10 comes only to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus came that his sheep may have life and have it abundantly. A wonderful thing for you to tune out to for the, next, the rest of the sermon. And just think on that. What is this abundant life that Christ has for us? How do I experience it? It sounds simple. It sounds clear. It's abundant life. The sheep are those who hear him and follow him and find that pasture of abundant life. Boom, boom, boom. A, B, C. One, two, three. You got it, right? It's very straightforward. And yet what we experience in the day-to-day is not always that straightforward. Because there are dangers, right? And you face them, whether you think you've identified all of the dangers in your life or not. You will face new dangers. There's an enemy to your soul who, when you become a Christian, doesn't just say, well, lost another one. Better go find those other heathens. You know, the, the efforts of the enemy, the thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy, his emphatic ministry, anti-ministry, is not primarily to those who already are lost. The sheep that are lost are lost. And sure, he has influence, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, that he's the prince of the power of the air and that all who are outside of the fold of God are under his authority. But they're under his passive authority. The active working of the enemy of your soul is on you. He's not taking a break. There are other voices 
in this world that would call us to listen and that would call us to sanctuary, but in fact are only leading to danger. You remember we emphasized when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That word the, grammar sidestep here, is a definite article, meaning there is only one, right? There's only one good shepherd. Now, now, hopefully, when we talk about under-shepherds and those who are placed in smaller realms of authority to care for and lead as servant leaders, that, yeah, there should be good shepherds there as well. But what he's talking about here is the supreme, the ultimate, the good shepherd. There is no other shepherd who leads to sanctuary. All other supposed shepherds who are contrary to the good shepherd will lead to danger and will ultimately lead to death. Hired hands, R.C. Sproul, in, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, describes the hired hands mentality as this. My life is worth more to me than these sheep, so let the wolves have them. Selfish purposes consume the mindset and the goal of the hired hand. Of, of course, the thief and the robber. It's in the name. I will take what I have not worked for from someone else and make it my own. That is self-absorption. Is it always so straightforward, though, in today's world particularly? I mean, think about all the different realms of authority that you are under politically, socially, relationally, in your employ. Could it be that there are some who are saying, I would like to lead you to life and life abundant, but in fact is one who is leading you to danger? And the truth may be that, that that person might say, well, no, I don't know the good shepherd, but, but there's still other green pastures that I could lead you to. And if you would just take some of my wisdom, you might find that these green pastures that I offer have some supplemental value to this whole good shepherd thing you're so focused on. Perhaps take a day, and when the shepherd comes and calls your voice, say, I hear you, good shepherd. I'd like to take a break today. I'm going to try, try out this other pasture, but I'm sure I'll be back tomorrow. Have we, have we laid it down pretty clear that that is not the attitude of a sheep? The sheep does not consider its options. The sheep follows who? His shepherd. Whomever that shepherd may be. If, if it's a good shepherd or not, that's the one they're following. The sheep will need to learn to hear and obey a new voice. And that is not an easy instant transformation, is it? It's certainly not a thing another sheep can do. Hired hands, thieves, and robbers can attract the sheep. Even the wolves can attract the sheep. We learned that from Looney Tunes plenty of times, right? How many times did Wile E. Coyote go out into the sheepfold and put on the sheep clothes and try to act as though he was just one of them? I mean, they got that from the Bible, you know. Warner Brothers did. Because Paul tells the church in the end of the book of Acts that I know that there will be wolves who rise up where? You know, from among you. That's a little scary. Because we can lock those doors and make sure nobody else comes in, so we're all safe in here. But who are y'all, right? Who are the, the leaders? Who's this guy who stands up here every week? And who are the other guys that are making decisions? Uh, if I don't know them, what, what purpose do I have in following the person that I don't really know? 
well, what do I know of these other people that I worship with every day, every Sunday? Perhaps in other contexts. We ought not going, be going around labeling people wolves and sheep. We need to pay very close attention to our interactions with other people, right? Do their words match up as one who hears from the good shepherd, or are they hearing from someone else? And as the sheep of the good shepherd, we cannot simply say, oh, you know what? I hear what you're saying. doesn't sound familiar at all to me. doesn't sound like my shepherd, so I'm staying away. Because I think that Jesus' illustration of this pen, this communal pen, is very helpful. Because y'all have to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to go into that pen where there's all sorts of sheep who have all sorts of different shepherds. And some of them, praise the Lord, some of them that you work with or that you live nearby, they know you're good shepherd and you go to the same pastures to, to feed and to grow and be nourished. But there are other voices, be it either from the influence of the sheep or those from outside, these thieves, robbers, hirelings, and wolves that would call you to find abundant life elsewhere. And the biggest problem with that is not even necessarily that you would look somewhere else in the active mode of walking away, but what you're leaving behind is the real issue. Charles Spurgeon, my, my favorite preacher of all time, certainly my favorite old dead guy, said that when we return as God's people, as God's sheep, when we return to our sin, we are like a like a pig that returns to the pig slop while there's a, a, a decadent meal out in front of us with a, a beautiful white tablecloth and a, 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 a candle and a filet mignon or whatever you think is super fancy or delicious. When we return to our sin, it's as if we're not choosing that prepared act of grace and kindness, but we're choosing the slop to which we used to return, we used to live off. And it is the Christian who, upon sticking its snout in the slop, looks up with a look of terror on its face and realizes, filet mignon, and I'm eating this. Perhaps another parable comes to mind. The prodigal son, you remember his turning point? That great phrase that Luke gives us, when he came to himself, was when what happened? When he was like, I'm so hungry, I could eat Egg slop? Have you ever been that hungry before? But he realized that, like, there's something fundamentally wrong with my decisions. Because I see how far I've fallen only because I've known what it means to live in my father's house. And I know that even in my father's house, though I was a son and accepted and loved and given priority, I know that even a servant was treated far better than what I'm facing as my potential lunch. Ultimately, this is what the wolves, the, sh the thieves, the robbers, and the hirelings have to offer. Pig slop. It is it. It is not going to sustain. It is not going to nurture. The things that this world has to offer that are contrary to the gift of the good shepherd are things that are temporary. And as Jesus is teaching the crowd this. We need to remember our number one priority in understanding the Bible is that one little word that everybody goes to Bible college for to learn, context. 
because this is coming immediately off of the healing of the blind man. Do you remember from last week? Chapter 9? And how Jesus ended. Look back at chapter 9 with me, if you will. I'll say here at verse 40, some of the Pharisees near Jesus heard him say these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Well, what is their guilt? We didn't deal with their guilt so much last week because it comes very clear to us this morning. Whoever does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. What is the guilt of the Pharisees and the leaders of the day, the clergy, the pastors, the elders, who are meant to be nourishing and leading to the good shepherd? The guilt is that they have entered the sheepfold over the wall and have revealed themselves truly to be thieves, robbers, robbers, wolves, and hirelings. Those who would come in and take whatever they want and have it for themselves. And those who would even cast out those who are the true sheep of the good shepherd, which is exactly what happened last week. Do you remember? There was the threats to the parents of the man born blind. If I admit that Jesus is the Christ, I could be thrown out of the synagogue, thrown out of church. And they threw the son out. They threw the man born blind out of the safety of the pen, out of the fold of God as they understood it. But truly what was happening was the good shepherd was calling him into the flock calling him into the true fold of God and out of the darkness, out of the blindness that he physically experienced, but that became a spiritual metaphor for the truth of those who ought to have been shepherding him. Martin Luther said that so many obey the wolves simply because they don't know Christ. And you'll remember from chapter 9 that the testimony of this man born blind who now sees was so simple did not have a theological degree. He didn't go to Sunday school. He didn't do a membership class. Man wasn't even baptized. His theology was simply this. I once was blind and now I see. And what does he say about Jesus? I don't even know whether he's a sinner or not. But I know he's the one who did it. I know that he's the one who changed everything about my life. So who is leading you this morning, church? Have you followed the Good Shepherd here to green pastures of worship, of fellowship amongst each other, of hearing the word, of singing the praises to God that we try to do every Sunday, not as an act of our own religiosity to the Creator, as though we might be accepted because of it, but rather in light of our acceptance, in light of our being brought into the fold of God, we naturally baw a certain way. We have things to say in light of the voice of our shepherd. And it's not to say that if you come in on a Sunday morning and you go, good grief, I'm so tired of his mercy is more, and it's just not my jam. That doesn't necessarily mean that you, because you don't like the song, that the, the truth of the song isn't true, or that, that you don't raise your voice doesn't mean you're as spiritual as everybody else. But the true reason that anyone raises their voice to sing on Sunday morning or, or bows their heads in sincerity is not because of what we see and experience here now, but because of the truth of the call of the shepherd on the hearts of his sheep. So who's leading you? What voices are drawing your attention and even drawing your obedience? My prayer and my hope, my anchor and my life preserver is that I would stand behind this music stand pulpit 
and tell you this is what you need to listen to. These ancient words. If something that I say alongside this doesn't match up, please call me out and fix that. I would like to not do that. But it is also more pertinently applied to the fact that you need to be discerning the voice of your shepherd when you go to worship, when you go to Bible study, when you hear a podcast or you listen to the radio or you have a conversation with another Christian. Can you discern the voice of your shepherd? And if you can, rejoice. What a joy it is to share in true fellowship to baa at a believer and hear them baa back about the same shepherd. We are his sheep. So consider who's leading you, who's calling your attention, who's calling your obedience, but then also consider your own leadership responsibilities. It may or may not be an official church capacity, but there are people who look to you in your life in some capacity even if it may be a very small realm of influence, that influence matters to God because leadership and authority is a necessary ingredient to sanctuary. That is what the good shepherd does. The sheep can't find the sanctuary on their own, right? They're going to go anywhere. They're going to fall in the, the crack in the ground and get pulled out and then fall in the other part of the crack in the ground. That's the best we can do on our own. So not only do we need to be looking to leaders who point to the good shepherd, but we also need to be leaders who point to the good shepherd as well. And, and that is seen in so many different ways. Not just what you say to those that maybe your children, your students, your coworkers, whomever, that, that might look to you for leadership in any capacity. It doesn't just matter what we say, but how we say it. How many times, dads, do we catch ourselves saying something true, but realizing the way that we said it is exactly why we couldn't stand how our dad said all those things to us a hundred times. I sound just like my dad. We want to be able to say, I sound just like my dad. I sound like my heavenly father. That is not to say that we don't have good examples of fathers, right? We have those. And, and many of us have dads that we can, and I do, I I adore my father. I'm thankful for him. I would love to be as good of a father as he is to me and to my brother. But we recognize in our weaknesses that sometimes the content alone becomes the priority and not the delivery as well. Just to put in a pretty immediate application that has broken my heart in weeks past. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. We ought to be shepherds in whatever capacity that we are who speak like the good shepherd. You know, Jesus was never harsh with someone who knew they were in sin. The harshness of Jesus is seen in the beginning of these kinds of passages to the wolves, the thieves, the robbers, the hirelings, those that at a drop of a hat would say, I'd rather protect my own life. There was harshness there. There was, there was a stern warning, but it was so perfectly mingled with truth. But the corrective work of Christ to his own, the di disciplinary work of Christ for his sheep, we, you all, we, you, all of us said it this morning in Psalm 23. What do the rod and staff of the shepherd do, according to Psalm 23? They comfort. That's not to say that every time our children do not perceive comfort in our correction that we are doing it but that 
as we grow in our sheepness, we recognize that the efforts of Christ to discipline our hearts, to call us away from sin, is not to wreck our fun, to foil, foil our plans, to put us down, but rather to call us back to that abundant life, to the green pastures and to the flowing waters. Christ, the good shepherd, is the one who saves his sheep from the dangers of sin and evil. And that was his purpose at the cross. It's really interesting. I was thinking about this, and obviously a lot this past week. That's what I do. Um, but <laughs> I was thinking about my own gospel misunderstandings this week. Do you have any gospel misunderstandings that you have to deal with? And one big one I remember from my childhood was I remember hearing the story of Christ's death. And the lesson that I gathered from it was this. The shepherd has taken his sheep out to the green pastures. I'm applying it to today's illustration. I wasn't this smart back then. I'm not even this smart now. The shepherd has taken his sheep to green pastures. Seeing a wolf proclaims to the sheep, Sheep, I would love for you to know an excellent picture of how much I love you. So you all stay here. I'm going to go lay my life down and let this wolf devour me. Again, we've already made it clear, if the shepherd's action of laying down his life is simply one of illustration, it is a pointless illustration. One of John's efforts, the effort of John the Apostle in writing this, is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is not simply one who has come to say, I would like to write a great story for you all to admire, for you all to emulate only. Rather, what Christ has come to do is to lay his life down for the sheep in a saving way. Not merely in a temporary way. The shepherd can distract a wolf with his own life for a short moment. But if he is to lay down his life, the wolf will have ample time to come back for the sheep. The wolf of sin, the wolf of Satan, would return after crucifying Christ to the sheep only to find the shepherd still there. You remember Jesus calls himself the door in this passage, and there's something fantastic about what that means, in that there is that pen in the village, but when they're out in pasture, there were some times that the shepherd would decide, hey, we just need to stay out here tonight. We'll come back to the village tomorrow. So he would build a, a contain, a three walls out of stone where he could lead his sheep into, and then he would become the fourth wall. He would lay his body down across the opening to protect it from any that would enter. So when Jesus says he lays his life down, that's what he's talking about. He is the door, and he is the one who has authority over his life, unlike the sheep who can't do anything on their own. Isaiah 53, verse 6 prophesied this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's everyone, so none of you, none of you are perfect sheep. None of I am not a perfect sheep. There is no perfect sheep. But the Lamb of God is the one on whom the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all. He has become the door to absorb not just all of our mistakes, not just the effects of sin, because we see that, don't we? We see the effects of bad leadership in the world. We see the effects of our bad decisions. Sin only brings death and destruction and ruins everything. But Jesus did not come just to absorb the effects of sin. He came to absorb the wrath of God against sin. The main thing that Jesus does is take all of the Father's right 
and good hatred against all evil. And he takes it upon himself. And he says things like this. Verse 17, look at it with me if you will. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. He's laying down his life at the cross. He's absorbing the wrath and hatred of God against sin at the cross. And in that action of facing the full storm of God's hatred against sin, that is when Jesus says, this is why my Father loves me. Does that make your head spin a little bit? It should, but it should lead you to worship. This is not, Jesus is not saying the Father has made a conditional context of love between him and the Son. Hey, if you'll go lay your life down, then I will love you. But what he's saying is, is that like a father who would point at his son and say, do you see what my son's doing? That's why I love him so much. Now you all get it. But you don't just see it, you'll experience it because the act of his death has brought you into the sheepfold. And you, like the Lamb of God, have become a sheep of God as well and are enjoying that same love. You know, dads and moms and even aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, that moment of content joy in the child who does what you've asked them to do. And oh, especially, right, you come home and your five-year-old says, hey, dad, I already did that thing I know you're going to ask me to do. You don't say, well, who do you think you are trying to figure out what I'm going to no, you sit there and you go, wow, that's, that's wonderful. I, I would love you whether, whether you did it or not, but, but this, is, this is like a, a heightening of that love, right? This is, a, this is a picture of that. It's a picture of the effect of the love on the Father because what does the Son want? To please and obey His Father. So now we live in that approval of God the Father over God the Son. And we know that we live in that because Christ did not stay dead, but rather conquered death and justified us. The whole reason that Jesus goes into this direction, I'll leave it to D.A. Carson to explain it to you, why he talks about the Father and himself and their love at the end of this, is because the intimacy of the sheep, Carson says, not that Carson, this Carson, the intimacy of the sheep and the shepherd relationship is grounded upon the intimacy between the Father and the Son. Do you want to know what your relationship with Jesus looks like? There's no better thing that you can do than to consider the relationship between Jesus and his Father. Because you share in all of that. Not by your own merit, you're a sheep. But by the laying down of the life of the shepherd. My own gospel misunderstanding left it to a matter of Jesus saying, let me prove my love to you. Let me show you an example of it. But rather what he accomplishes is justification for our sin. That is making us right before him. And that is done simply by faith alone. There is no work. There is no thing you can do. We have laid that out clearly. Sheep cannot save themselves. They will only lead themselves to destruction. And the sheep who says, I will follow the voice of the shepherd, is not one who has earned a right place by following. But in having that right place, that right relationship, he follows. So you, Christian, you do not get to enhance your Christian life by following Jesus and, and find approval and applause from God because you finally did what he asked you to. But because the shepherd has laid down his life, you have all of that approval and all that unction and all that you need in order to walk 
behind Christ, behind the shepherd who, unlike many leaders who would say, you all go ahead and I'm just going to herd you all from behind. The good shepherd leads his sheep out. And then, did you see this at the beginning of the passage? He goes to the front of the flock and leads them. So confident is the good shepherd that the sheep that are truly his will follow him that he can lead from the front and bring them quickly and safely to the sanctuary that they need. Why are the sheep divided in this last part of this passage? Why are some saying one thing about Jesus and the other? about One, one side saying good things, one side saying bad things? It's because they don't recognize his voice. They don't recognize his work. So would you follow the good shepherd today? Would you follow him into the abundant life and sanctuary of the love of God? He talks in verse 10 about abundant life. And the sanctuary that we find in Christ, again, is the same sanctuary he enjoys in his Father. I'll give you three quick things. Loving kindness. The sheep of Christ's flock return to the green pastures of the abundant life that the good shepherd has given them again and again. Turn back to his word. Turn back to prayer. Turn back to fellowship. Continue to walk in these things and come with an expectation of nourishment as you observe what he has said, knowing that you will hear him and trust him and follow him because of the work of the Spirit in you. Loving kindness, discipline, the restraint of the rod and the staff. We already said this from Psalm 23. These are the arms of the Father who restrains the hands of little ones from danger. They're the same arms that give hugs and picks them up and swings them around. But they're also those that pull them away from danger. And then lastly, security. Temptation and trial. We think we ex our experience is that the door is open. That Christ allows temptation and trial and difficulties and challenges to come towards us so that we might come towards him and find security there. Bruce Milne, another Bible commentator, says security is provided by the proximity or the closeness of the shepherd, not by the walls of the enclosure. The sheep don't say, oh man, I found this good stone wall over here I can cuddle up. No, the sheep want to be close to the shepherd. That's where they feel the security, being close to him. So remember, you're a sheep. You need to follow the good shepherd. You need to hear and follow the voice of the good shepherd because he speaks in line with his character. How do I know if Jesus is speaking? Jesus loves you. But he also is going to call you to some difficult times. Satan doesn't love you. Thieves and robbers and false teachers don't love you. They'll call you to easy times. Call you away from difficulties and abandon you in the middle of the unexpected danger. So stop listening to the thieves. Don't listen to strangers. Don't listen to hired hands. Certainly don't listen to the wolves. If you're a leader, model the shepherd's character well. You will only be one or the other. You will only be either a model of the good shepherd or contrary to him. Proclaim the sanctuary of the good shepherd among those divided sheep. You're going to the pen again. <laughs> You're going to get mingled in with all sorts of other sheep. Be those who point to the good shepherd. Listen to 1 Peter 5 as we close. It's one of our favorite ones to return to in elders' meetings because it's so pointed to the idea of shepherding. Of course, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See to it that as you lead, you are leading in accordance with the good shepherd, pointing to him, doing so willingly as God would have you. And in anticipation that the chief shepherd will appear and we'll know him because we know his voice. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our Father, we thank you this morning that we have a good shepherd, that all that we need is provided in him, that as we go out into the world, your spirit has made his home in our hearts and is ever calling us to remember the words of the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and who has a peculiar authority not only to lay it down, but also to take it again, to rise again from death as Christ has done for us. Lord, may we so discern the voices around us and hear the voice of our shepherd primarily and in a way that results in our following and trusting him in all things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.